Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to 11. We are in the house with Greg Dutcher. Greg, say hello. I'm in the house. And we have your number one fan actually joining us. This is actually a first for us where we have four people all in one room recording together. Yes. Dave Shive, say hello. Hello. Good to be here. And we also have Bill Heidel. Bill, say hello out there. Hello. Um, Bill, we just want to give you uh, a few moments here since you're the new one on the block this time. Uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Friends, family, do you have any? Um, and uh, just, you know, your role here at CFC and uh, just some other important stuff you want us to know about you. And, and what's it like to not really have a mature pastor? <laughs> I, I would like to get that answer. You would like to get that? Yes. Well, first off, I thought we had agreed to call me Chuck. Yeah, there was a, yeah. a, an amount of anonymity that I had hoped to achieve, yes. right? So I could disassociate myself with the podcast. <laughs> That's out the window now. Yes. <laughs> no, my uh, my name is Bill Heidel. I'm an elder here at the church. I like to say that I'm a bivocational pastor from uh, a long time, I guess, uh, probably about 15 years or so. I felt a calling to actually service within the church. Um, I don't hold myself up as any great theologian, and I'm hoping that tonight I can sort of just relate some additional points of view, maybe how another listener might have heard that podcast, for those of us who are those intellectual peons. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, I'm being surrounded by three of them tonight, guys, and don't take that as a personal insult. <laughs> yeah, I just know when you're in my presence, all three of you, I sense uh, just a, a more deepened humility, a sense of awe. Dave, would you, I mean, are you feeling that tonight? No. Okay, good, good. <laughs> Sorry, Greg, I just fell asleep yeah. there for a minute. <laughs> Um, so, uh, actually, the reason why there are four of us here tonight is, um, Dave, the last time you were on, we wanted to invite you back to um, talk about the idea of the things that angels long to look into. Um, and on that podcast, Bill, you listened to it, and you had um, an, a, a different initial reaction to the podcast than, than I, I think, really the intended one that we had, or I don't even know if we had a reaction. So just give us your first impressions of that podcast, particularly the section that dealt with ISIS. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think on first listen, you know, admittedly, it's a rough listen, first impressions. You know, I thought, wow, this could be very offensive. Uh, did you really just equate Christian evil with universally moral evil? Right? No differentiation and variation out there. Right? Also, a little confused, maybe. Never really defined evil. So I had one idea, listening to another idea. Um, Wondering how evil and sin could kind of be contrasted and compared. Uh, heard Dave talk about these various permutations of evil. But then we kind of quickly went by ISIS and talking about ISIS into all Christians are evil and talking about some of the other things in the world and Christians themselves. And I also, on the first piece, almost felt like we gave unequal time to the evil in Christians versus the evil in ISIS. So I'm hoping here tonight... And I know that um, we've got about three or four questions I'd love to pose to these guys, have them elaborate on a little bit more. In subsequent listens to the podcast, I think everything was clear to me. Um, things were very articulate, but on that first listen, it was so easy for me to quickly jump to some of those conclusions. Really want to hear more on those topics. Sure. So uh, the plan for tonight, uh, I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to read through um, the four 
uh, questions or thoughts that you had, Bill, um, and we're just going to take them uh, one at a time. I'm going to give you an opportunity just to maybe elaborate or clarify some things. Uh, Greg, Dave, if, if you have some questions on th some things to allow Bill to clarify, and then, um, you know, Dave and Greg at that point, you can kind of take it away and, and, and give your perspective. Um, so let's go ahead and just dive right in. We'll start with the uh, first one. So, um, Bill, these are the things that you sent out to me. Um, you've actually been um, the most prepared on this podcast of anyone we've had, so um, <laughs> which, which is I not would, saying much. Yes, yes, I would like, that means I think Bill wrote these, Dave, on his drive here, right, uh, with his voice, you know, recording software. So three times more prepared than I normally am. Um, so the first, um, the first question that you had was, um, and this is part of it. Uh, I'm not sure all of your listeners um, would share the same definition of evil. In fact, modern versions of the Bible translate multiple Hebrew and Greek words as evil. What is evil and how does it compare or contrast to sin? Good question, Bill. Mm -hmm. uh, let me just jump in there, Dave, not only because I'll have a better answer, but uh, because I think uh, I don't really need to give a definition. I watched the uh, NCAA championship game last night, <laughs> and I think if you saw the result, we have a pictorial depiction of pure distilled, unadulterated evil. And interestingly enough, I'm not trying to say too much, what is Duke's mascot, the Blue Devils? <laughs> Dave, do, do, I mean, do you think that's a theologically sound answer? Yeah, but it's not nearly as insidious as the evil uh, of the team called the Patriots. Yes, yes. <laughs> because yeah. there they've got a really glamorous, positive kind of name, but underneath is this, it's just a veneer over the evil. Yes, I like to call them the New England whitewashed tombs. <laughs> is my preferred biblical moniker for that. Um, uh, Dave, I'm going to let you take that, because I think uh, if, if you listen closely, what I heard Bill saying was that my comments on that ISIS podcast were erudite, brilliant, insightful, and that yours brought about the confusion. And, of course, Bill has already said that he really doesn't know much about theology anyway. So. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we've got a good path here. Well, let me just comment uh, uh, on this first question where you mentioned modern versions of the Bible translate multiple Hebrew and Greek words as evil. Uh, I'm not sure that's true, but I'm not sure what your research is and what you've done. There's really a, one solid Hebrew word for evil and one solid Greek word, although the English versions may take other words and translate them as evil. Um, so that can be a point of confusion, but there is you know, a core idea. The question is, uh, what is evil and how does it compare in contrast to sin? And that's just, uh, the words occur so many times in the Bible to, that to land on one definition is um, extremely difficult. I like Plantinga's uh, definition that sin is violation of God's shalom. Mm -hmm. And by that, he means that God created the universe with an intended purpose, which is that all things would function as they do within the Trinity and in heaven itself. And that would be shalom, the completeness of the creation. And sin is when we violate that. How is that different than evil? Well, uh, not necessarily different. Uh, sometimes evil and sin may be the same thing. It depends on who's doing it. God does evil in the Old Testament, you know, like the tornadoes and earthquakes and things like that. Sometimes they're called calamities, and yet that's that same word. So um, I think it's very difficult to equate the two, and we'd have to look at individual contexts. So that would be a short answer to that question. 
Specifically, one of the examples that I was thinking of is the Bible can call like the water in a well that's polluted evil. Mm -hmm. And then there's a personification of evil that's talked about as the evil one. And then people are called wicked at times. You know, what distinctions can we draw from that? Should we draw a distinction? Well, it, it means that there's a, uh, in the Old Testament, there's, a, there's one word that is used in an enormously uh, varied uh, situations. And so, yes, water can be that word, but it probably, we wouldn't say evil, we might say bad. Okay? And so sometimes that word is translated as bad, sometimes as calamity, sometimes as evil itself. And um, so it, the context would be the key, not the word itself. Just like in English, we have words that can mean uh, a huge variety of things depending on their context. Very good. So uh, in hearing that, how does that relate or does it relate again to the Christian evil versus ISIS evil? Mm -hmm. And it's specifically regenerative and a sanctified believer versus someone who's a non-believer. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that this is where we might disagree. My take on reading of Scripture, the Bible is much more concerned with Christian evil than non-Christian evil. So that, for instance, when Assyria or Babylon was going to come and assault Israel and take them captive, they were mentioned and their works were going to be evil, but their works were also affirmed by God because he had raised them up for that purpose. God was far more disturbed by the evil of his people, their idolatry, uh, their departure from the covenant, their, their unwillingness to obey, their worship of multiple deities. That was a far more egregious thing, it appears in the text of Scripture, than the evil of a secular nation. So I think the Bible overall probably treats the evil that Christians can do far more seriously and in greater quantity than it does the evil that the secular societies will do. Yeah, that was too. And because you and I have talked about this offline, Bill, I feel like I have a uh, probably a, a bit of a better read on uh, some of the why. And I don't want to give that away yet if, if you're going to share that you were asking these questions. Um, I think one of the questions you put to me that I gave a lot of thought to was, uh, was ISIS evil being dismissed uh in a maybe a quick rush to really pounce upon Christians. And, I mean, the, the balance that I would bring there, Dave, I don't think this is a radically different point than you were making, was, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you just look at some of the acts that uh, ISIS has committed in the last year, um, it's not something we can brush by quickly. I mean, it is, you are getting a glimpse. I think you said this, Dave, on that podcast, of just a little bit of a, a glimpse into the pit of hell mm -hmm. and what what the... Uh, human outside of Christ is capable of doing. My goal in bringing that issue up, I remember I was reading an article, I think it was in USA Today, on, on the uh, a goofy adult cartoon called Archer, where the, um, the organization that the main character worked for was called ISIS. Uh, when the show began, there was no ISIS uh, that we knew of, as in the Middle Eastern variety. And the creator of that show wanted to put distance between himself and a, quote, evil organization, unquote. So my thought in bringing that issue up was, okay, how can I identify with an unbeliever, a skeptic, uh, by agreeing, yeah, man, hey, man, did you see the stuff ISIS is doing, dude? I've been watching the news. It's, it's horrifying that I want to be able to come together with that person and, and agree with them 
and say it's it's horrible, it's it's despicable. My question was more open ended. How do we as Christians do that, yet also communicate that we are in need of Jesus as much uh, as they are? Uh, and and that was sort of the goal there. So it may have been because of some of Dave's poor word choices, of course, <laughs> um, that uh, you know we we maybe glossed over in. And I don't know if you use that term. I'm interpreting a little bit, Bill. Um, the, you know, <laughs> very real evil of ISIS to get to the evil of Christians. But I do agree, Dave, that, that admittedly that was part of the goal, was we can find a false security uh, in, well, we're not like them. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not doing the terrible things mm-hmm. that they're doing. Um, so that was, that was sort of the spirit of the conversation that, that I, uh, I wanted to bring to it. But I, I definitely see your point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what resonated with me the most on on some of those subsequent listens, Dave, is when you shared the fact that, you know, are we concerned so much about the impact to the glory of God in our context of evil, or are we concerned because of the impact to our way of life, Mm -hmm. right? And um, on my first listen, that was one in which it created a quick offense at me, and I'm comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. I, I like preaching that'll create an offense in me. I believe that the, the Word of God can be offensive, and it should be as a barometer and a way for us to then come under and subject ourselves to its authority. Um, and then in looking into that and really thinking about it, I was like, no, the, the part that's really, you know, causing me anger at ISIS is when you look at that being upheld and celebrated. And I mm-hmm. would say, like, to the example that you gave of a sexual molestation occurring, right? I would be just as angry if that was put on video, held up as a religious edict or associated, whether it's Westboro Baptist Church or an Islamic religion that's, that's celebrating point. that as well. Great point. Yeah. And I think my concern is um, when all is said and done, our, our outrage, our anger, our speaking out against the evils in secular society does nothing. It's, it, it's, uh, it's a fruitless exercise by and large that, can, that often only gets us worked up and more focused on the evil. Rather than saying the prophets didn't talk about how bad Assyria was other than to justify it, but they did talk extensively about how wicked Israel and Judah was. And so, and the reason for that I think that's important is because in the Lord's Prayer, when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done, hallowed be your name, there's nothing there about get caught up in the outrageous activities that are perpetrated by secular unbelievers. So I, I don't think it's a profitable direction for the church, but it, it's a distraction more than anything else. Yeah. A uh, little note to self, future podcast topic, if we don't touch on it today. We, we've feel like, uh, Nathan, we've touched on this, haven't we, a few times, maybe with Steve Hartland, mm-hmm. maybe Matt Smith to a certain extent, even Jeff Kratz. I would love to talk sometime about political conservatism yeah. and its relationship yeah. to evangelical Christianity. Yep. Um, explore that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But just a preview. Yeah. <laughs> Topic for another day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we, we kind of hit on um, the second point or question that you had. Bill, so um, I want to actually jump into um, the third one, unless um, you or Dave had anything else you kind of wanted to bring up in that real quick. Go for it. All right. Um, So how do the topics of regeneration and sanctification fit into 
this discussion. Clearly, Christians are called to be different and, and, and enabled by the Holy Spirit to be distinct. My response would be that's exactly what I was hoping we would be concerned about, is the church. The church is the only thing that God is doing on earth. Everything that God does is done through his body, through his church. And so the priority of, for us then would be that the church should become what God created it to be. And that re means we're called to repentance, to revival, to sanctification, to godliness, to pure worship, to love of his word, to fervent prayer. Those are the things to which we have been called. And that's the natural emphasis that I think we should take out of this conversation. Well said. To clarify, Dave, um, just to, in case anybody's listening, I could see somebody saying, wait a minute, um, God's only acting through the church? Because, again, you and I have had offline conversations about this. I, I think I know what you would say. But for the benefit of anybody listening in, um, is God not at work in other arenas, politics, um, you know, in, in a common grace sense to give away that theological position? Yeah, he is. Uh, I, when I say what God is doing in the world is the kingdom of God, the work of God to bring righteousness and to bring truth and, and to bring um, the reality of his presence into the world is only done through the church. Gotcha. Gotcha. See, aren't you glad I'm here, Dave? Oh, wow. You saved the day there. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine, Dave, if you and Bill, I mean, these guys were here without me. It, it would just be an unmitigated uh, I know. Mess. I, I asked Bill, to, Bill, how many years did you know the Lord before you met me? You've been here for about four years. Uh, I have no concept of anything before I met you. <laughs> it, just, it was such an earth-shattering sort of, you know, along the same of being regenerated. Yes, yes. It's sort of like being born again again. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, not maybe that significant, but pretty close. Well, that could open the door to me sharing things about when I first met Greg, yeah. but I don't think he wants that right now. I, I was going to say, I, I know my intelligence feels like that of an infant whenever I'm around Greg. Yes, yes. Uh, it's a common effect I have. Um, so the last uh, question or point um, that you had, Bill, what is the Christian's role in calling out and fighting evil in the world? Um, referencing the spiritual warfare, um, Dave, that you mentioned in the previous podcast, how is the Christian equipped uniquely, um, the armor of God, Ephesians 6, to combat this foe spiritually? Mm -hmm. Is there provision to translate these advantages into physical combat in the case of the military, mm -hmm. um, you know, and men and women, mm -hmm. things like that? So, um, Bill, anything you wanted to clarify, or Dave, anything you needed clarified in that, or... Well, I was hoping to make that question even more complex by adding about three other points to it <laughs> from the three that I've already made. <laughs> but maybe we can just uh, let it start, and mm -hmm. I'll add. There you go. Well, I would take the second half of the question first and uh, say unequivocally that I don't think there's any provision in Ephesians 6 to take the armor of God into physical combat with our military. I don't think it has any bearing whatsoever on that other than for Christians who are in the military to carry the armor with them spiritually. But Paul starts out the whole passage by saying we don't wrestle. We don't fight against flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. So I don't think uh, it has anything really to do with the military. Absolutely. Uh, what about the first part of the question, Dave? Do you need it reread? No. 
<laughs> Unlike you, I've got it right in front of me <laughs> because <laughs> I came prepared. That's good. Yeah. Uh, and so what is what is our role? Well, we take our cue from Ephesians 6 and other passages, the instructions of Jesus, how the apostles approach it, which is we call one another to repentance. We become people of prayer. The whole point of Ephesians 6, I'm convinced, is that the armor, which is six pieces in Ephesians 6, is incomplete without the seventh element, which is not called a piece of armor, but it's prayer. And he gives more space to prayer at the end of that section than he does to any one of the pieces of armor. And so the, the, uh, the matter of prayer becomes the part of our equipping for battle that enables us to stay in close communication with headquarters. We're on the front lines of battle. We need instructions. We need reinforcements. We need more materials. Uh, we need medical help. Whatever we need, we're on the front lines of battle. If we don't have a capacity to contact the headquarters and the commander-in-chief, then we're really in trouble. Now, on Paul's day, obviously, they didn't have walkie-talkies, so they, but they had their systems, whether it's by couriers or by smoke or however they would um, communicate uh, with the rear echelons and get in touch with the, the generals and so forth. They had that ability. And so for us as well, uh, we're on the front lines of battle, but uh, having a good helmet and uh, a sword and a breastplate and so forth is not as sufficient if we are cut off from headquarters. And so we become people of prayer. And this is a great, great point of weakness in the American church, this whole matter of prayer. So I would say that we need to uh, learn to prioritize prayer if we're going to be effective in waging battle against evil. Yeah, I wanted to uh, throw this out to you, Dave, because I, Bill, you are a Navy dude. Um, we have five elders at the church, two of whom have served. Jerry uh, Gavin is, uh, is an Army guy, uh, a ranger. Uh, Bill uh, was in the Navy in one of those unbelievably uh, suffocating submarines, correct, <laughs> Bill? Which In both an aircraft carrier and a submarine. Man. So I was above and below. <laughs> gives me nightmares to think of being in one of those things, man, under underwater. But um, curious, Dave, from, uh, again, I don't know what you would say on this, so I think it would be beneficial. Uh, did you see American Sniper? No. Okay. Uh, I saw it, loved it. I mean, mm -hmm. that was my reaction to it. I, I, and I did not read the book. Uh, I've talked to some people that read the book. That said, Have you read any books? <laughs> <laughs> Without pictures. Yes. I recently read. I'm not talking about comic books. Yes. Not... Dave, I normally read. At Jack least... Trick Tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to uh, read uh, Bad Bob, where the guy tells Bad Bob, you're going to hell on a grease pole. That was a life changing <laughs> moment in literature for me. Uh, I normally, Dave, read about a third of the passage that I'm preaching on in a given week. <laughs> I find it makes me a slightly better exegete. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's good. No, I did not read uh, American Sniper. You did, Bill. I did. And Mark uh, Sweeney, who's our executive pastor here, read it. And I find when anybody reads the book uh, and then you see the movie, they're always disappointed because the book can always cover more. Uh, so, again, this is just based on the movie. I walked out of there with Lisa, and we had a similar conversation. This was well before that first ISIS podcast. And she asked me, well, from a Christian's perspective, serving in that role, if you think you're in Chris Kyle's role, which is just you know the most decorated sniper of all time, right, Bill? Correct. I think in, in American history. I, I, she asked me, is it wrong 
to have sort of a good against evil motivation uh, in doing the job he was called to. Now, I don't know what you would say, Dave. I would say, yes, in that role, you are a military sniper whose job is to disrupt the forces of the enemy, uh, is to do what you're commanded to do. And if it enables you to focus or to hyper-focus, you know, you're on top of a rooftop, there's a, a guy that's about to put a, a drill into a child's skull, you know, all these sorts of evils that are portrayed in that movie, I would say, yes, if that helps you focus on the job that you have at hand, I could see that being an incredibly powerful motivation. Uh, so from a military standpoint, heck yeah. From sort of the Christian thinker standpoint, in the points you were raising, Dave, about evangelism and prayer, I, I see a distinction. I can live with that comfortably. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm curious if you feel that same way. Well, it's not an easy issue for sure. Uh, I wouldn't b reduce it to good against evil hmm. because we're quite capable in our own military of doing some evil too. Uh, but we like to think we're doing good sure. all, all the time. And I think the other side often thinks they're doing the right thing too in, in a twisted kind of way. Sure. So I wouldn't reduce it to we're doing good against evil because we're not always doing good. But I would say that there is a legitimate place for the military. Mm -hmm. I don't have any problem with that. I'm not a pacifist. I can't wrap my head around Christian pacifism, you know, total pacifism sure. at all. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't have a conflict between what Ephesians 6 is teaching the Christian and doing a righteous act to spare innocent lives. Okay. Your thought, Bill, as a military man, just curious to get your perspective there. Yeah, you almost stole my thunder there, oh, <laughs> Greg. I do that. That was one of the most poignant <laughs> parts of the book for me is at one point he's convinced to go see a psychologist, Chris mm -hmm. Kyle, and uh, sitting there, he asks him, you know, did it ever bother you killing those people? And he said, no, they were all evil. Interesting. And so it really rang true to me mm -hmm. in the context of this discussion. Chris Kyle um, had a religious background, came up, with a singular focus and he understood that their actions as evil maybe not so much in a dogmatic point of view but definitely from the standpoint of these are bad actions and if he doesn't take action something bad's going to happen to his guys something bad's going to happen to his friends mm -hmm. yeah it's, it's almost an interesting exercise to imagine uh chris kyle or somebody like him today uh, what how <laughs> how a military chaplain might guide him sort of in, in, in the arena of war, how an at-home chaplain, when he's home all those times, in between mm -hmm. his, what, four tours or however many he did, how uh, his home pastor would, would guide him to think of, about these issues uh, from a, a broader perspective, you know, praying mm -hmm. for those in the 1040 window, mm -hmm. for instance, praying for those that have uh, maybe not yet even heard of Christ, at least a clear articulation of the gospel. And I, I'm always one that's happy to live with that tension. Uh, from a military standpoint, now granted that might be Clint Eastwood working his Hollywood magic movie on me, and I have no idea what it's like to serve uh, in in that role. Some would say I have no idea what it's like to serve in, in any role, um, <laughs> but that's a story for another day. I, uh, I can see being highly motivated uh, by the fact that I've got a job to do, and I think one of the scenes in the movie, Bill, was uh, when he was on top of the roof, and he's got all these Marines below that have to clear the houses, and my sense was Kyle had a a better understanding of how to do that. Mm -hmm. Although it wasn't quote unquote his job, he took action. He said, I'm not going to sit here 
on this rooftop, and he went down, and uh, it was very, very heroic. It was very selfless, um, his actions in that movie. So, you know, to me, there's a, a balance, a tension that we're trying to hold. Because, yeah, I'm with you, Dave. I, I do have a few friends that are pacifistic, um, and, you know, you, you try to float Augustine's just war theory or something mm -hmm. by them. I'm not sure that's the be-all and end-all of why it's okay to go to war. Um, but I, I do think it's healthy to live with that tension. Yeah, and I think, I think too, that um, one of the key points um, that I really pulled away from this movie, because uh, I ended up seeing the movie as well, that I thought was fascinating when everybody was saying this glorified war. Well, actually, what it really showed was what a person goes through psychologically. I mean, God, God created us, and, and Christ says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, God in, in his very personal self is life. You know, that is who he is. And, and so us as humans taking another life, um, that has an effect. And, and whether, you know, that, that person on the other side, even if you can justify, yes, what they're doing is evil, it's still a human being. It's still an image bearer of the creator. And so that is going to, at some level, affect how you're dealing with taking that life. Um, yeah. Going into vi uh, violent acts of war is unnatural, no matter who you are. Whether you're a sniper and you're a skilled sniper, this is your job. That's not natural. We were not made to shoot one another. That doesn't mean it's wrong sure. for a sniper. I'm not arguing that. I'm just simply saying that's unnatural, and everybody has to cope with the tension of how do I do unnatural things and keep my sanity. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is something, Greg, that unless you've been in the military, unless you've sort of walked in those shoes, unless you've dealt with those tensions and the moral dilemmas and wrestled with it, it's very hard to explain to someone what yeah. they have. And um, I think there's a, singular, a singularity of purpose that needs to be there and clear where hesitancy can mean death of you and, and those people around you. Sure. Um, that maybe you overcompensate in there. Maybe you don't want to think about it too much Interesting. in those areas. But, um, you know, to the point of that unnaturalness of taking life, I think there's also a naturalness. And we're very insulated in our society from that. We don't have to go out and kill a goat, right, to get our dinner. So I think it's easy for us to think about the sanctity of life when we don't have a good idea that, guess what, an animal has to die for us to even eat. Right, which is why the Levitical books just ring so, I guess, loudly in my ears and, and really echo a difference of culture that I find hard to identify with directly. I find it hard, too, guys, because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, you guys, of course, know I'm a committed vegetarian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's difficult for me to wrap my yeah. mind around that. I was wondering how you lost so much weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you said, Dave, at the beginning of the podcast, I'm wasting away to nothing. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I, I meant that intellectually. I didn't mean that physically. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'd like to throw a little spin on that too, Bill, because I've, um, my cousin owns a farm. And so um, about, you know, uh, once a year, I'll go over to his house and I'll help him butcher chickens and, you know, do, do this, you know, typical farm stuff. I don't get the same reaction from killing an animal um, that I know is going to be there to provide food that I do, um, that I think I would, obviously I've never killed someone before, but to me, I just, I can't imagine, um, that mindset of the, somebody else is on the other line there. This is, again, this is an image bearer of God. This is somebody who, you know, God has placed here on earth, um, 
they're, they're, that person has a purpose, you know, that is in God's hands, what that purpose is. Um, but to me, there's a difference between going in and, you know, cutting a throat, chopping a head off an animal, than I think there would be in having to take that human life. Yeah, I think you make my point in that you can't imagine that. Um, and that is yet something we clearly see in the Old Testament over and over again, as David mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. right? There are people who are called and within the will of God, certainly under the sovereignty of God, who are called to serve that job and do that role and, and take and deal with that very difficult task. Right. No. And I was just I was just going to your point of, you know, we can't imagine the idea of of taking life, you know, because we don't kill animals and things like that. Well, I've killed animals before. Um, and, and to me, I, you know, maybe this makes me a sociopath. It's no big deal. Um, <laughs> well, you know, every sociopath yeah. does start with killing animals. Somewhere. That's right. Um, but yeah, you know what guys, and the way we're sitting here tonight, I'm a little nervous. I'm the closest to, <laughs> but, uh, no yeah. sharp objects. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but what I'm saying is that, that I don't have that same, that same experience, um, in my thought process of, you know, if I were thinking of taking a human life, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wanting to actually kill someone. It's, it's an animal. This, this is its role. This is its purpose. I have no attachments um, to this thing. Um, you know, where people, th- there is an attachment if in the fact that we are image bearers of God. But when you, um, when you, when, when we try to put it in those terms, you know, it becomes really obvious to me there's a universe of, of difference between killing an animal for pretty much any reason and killing a human being even for the most righteous reasons and so people who are in the military they go through boot camp and they understand i'm in this thing because i may have to kill people that's my job that's what we do in the military they're trained to do that they're they're told this you very likely will have to do this when they are given an assignment if they're put into a place where it's a war zone or whatever they know going in the whole group knows that they have to do this kind of thing. Furthermore, their failure to do it could mean their comrades' deaths. Further, they're justifying it because they're innocent people in their mind who are the prey of the people that they need to stop. So it's, it's so far removed that, you know, talking about animals, killing animals, you know, it's just like that's, that's not even the same universe with that kind of thing. I understand the analogy. I had to kill an animal one time. It was my cat, <laughs> and I had I had stepped on it accidentally and broke its neck. Oh, Murderer. So, <laughs> so this cat is flopping around, and it's obvious it's not going to survive. So I had to finish it off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was just horrendous. Yeah. You know, and it was only a cat. I don't even like cats. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it, but it was still a horrendous experience. Yeah. And so, but when I make the jump to actually having to put a bullet in the brain of a human being, I know that's not anywhere in the same league as my killing a cat. I have to say, yeah. Dave, very quickly, uh, that's why I feel like a, a complete wimp when you were sharing what you do on the farm, Nathan, or you know what, what Bill was talking about. I, in seminary, Lisa was a nurse working night shift. It was midnight, and I wanted to get a Snickers bar. So I went to, drove to the Wawa, and I felt a little thump. You know, when I drove and I turned around and it was a little kitten. Sorry, listeners. It was twitching. And I backed up over it again. It was still twitching. I backed up over it again. Still twitching. Fourth time I finally did it. 
and I I broke down like a blubbering idiot in the street, went into the house, called Lisa at work, and she answered the phone for I was like, <laughs> and she honestly thought like one of our relatives had died. So I just wanted to share that day. Yeah, and then you went and ate your Snicker bar. <laughs> I did. I, I, the irony is I did go back to the but guys, it was a frozen ice cream Snickers bar. Uh-huh. Well, I'm glad we've come full circle to the <laughs> definition of evil. Yeah. <laughs> and listenership to this podcast is really skyrocketing, oh, right? Goodness. We are gonna gain so many listeners. Tonight. Is that PETA on the phone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody quick release the Michael Vick story all over again. <laughs> take, take some pressure off this. So. Uh, um so before we um transition out of this um bill any other thoughts or or questions or clarifications um you wanted to bring up from the podcast no i appreciate you guys actually taking the time to elaborate a little bit more i think it's great topics feel like we could probably go on ad infinitum about this great bill yeah thanks bill all right so we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to transition now um continuing again from when we had dave on uh the last time we're going to um, discuss things angels long to look into. Um, so this is going to be kind of angels part two. Um, Dave, I don't know. Did you um, did you end up listening to that podcast that mm-hmm. that we did on that one? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were just some things that you actually wanted to um, expand on um, in terms of what we were talking about then. And so um, we just want to give you a, um, some time here to go ahead and do that um, and just. Um, you know, we have some questions for you. Um, and let's just start with this one. Um, based on what you were talking about in the last one in mission and, and God in mission, and you had talked about God from the beginning of time, his focus and heart being mission. Um, where, where do you see the angels role in that? Um, from let's start from the beginning. Well, uh, I would say that, uh, the way I see scripture is that God is on a mission He's doing a mission, but the way he does mission is very different than we might think we would do it if we were God. If you had a great mission and you were God, how would you do it? Well, you would just do it because you got the power. God has chosen to carry out his mission through his agents, and his agents are angels, created beings, and humans made in his image. And that becomes the thrust of scripture then is in terms of how God is going to get his work done. So to have a, a uh, narrow, limited view of angels and their role in the Bible and in God's mission really hampers us in our capacity to understand how God actually gets his work done. So I asked you this earlier, Dave. I think I know your answer. Um, by the way, Dave, the Orioles just took a 3 nothing lead over the Tampa uh, raise. You can tell I'm riveted by these. Yeah, it's much more important than anything <laughs> yes. we're talking about. Anything. I mean, I just want to say, angels have their place, uh, you know, like the Anaheim <laughs> angels. Yeah. Anyway, uh, would you say, see, this is a little controversy tonight. We're all being very, Bill was so mellow mm-hmm. about it. I was hoping for a little more. I just want some big old knockdown fight. So I'm trying to get this going with Dave here. Dave, uh, our little conversation on angels in podcast number one came out of the sermon I had done, Nathan mm-hmm. Wright, about yep. what angels long to look into. Yep. Uh, how did you feel about uh, that little presentation? Mainly my comments there. Did I go deep enough? <laughs> well, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a narrow slice of a big topic. Okay. 
And so, uh, apart from the fact that it was you preaching, which kind of undermines the whole value of it. It it brings a lot of erroneous information from the, you know, from the start. But 1 Peter 1, 12 is, uh, is a, is a wonderful text because it gives us one perspective on angels and how they think, what they're interested in, but it's a small piece. And uh, I think in the West, we have, especially in the evangelical church, we have a lot of trouble really uh, understanding and accepting the way the Bible tends to portray the role of angels mm-hmm. because of our Western scientific approach, which tends to minimize anything that seems a little bit too supernatural, unless it's God himself. We like God when he does really supernatural stuff, but we're nervous about angels doing stuff. And uh, so we have the Western view. Then in the Eastern view, and I'm oversimplifying this, uh, you have a more spiritual approach where everything is spiritual. So if you're walking through the, through the jungle and you stub your toe on a rock, that wasn't because you were being careless. That was because there is a spirit being that you had offended and because you had offended it, you were now paying the price, and now you've got to go and make that right, perhaps by putting something on the stone, by offering a sacrifice. You've got to do something to appease that deity. We think that's goofy in the West. Mm-hmm. In the East, they think it's crazy that we don't see that. And then there's the excluded middle, which is a, a missionary term for that middle ground where we look, try to incorporate both of those somehow and understand how they work together. So I think we've devalued the role of angels tremendously because the Bible is full of angelic activity. Interesting. So uh, I know, Dave, some of the material is a debate. Nathan here is just uh, reminding me. You and I, I'm fairly certain, this is a long conversation, you have a, a difference in the angels or non-angels say in a passage like Genesis 6, mm-hmm. um, because you choose to believe that those are angels. No, I didn't choose to believe it. The Bible said those are angels. <laughs> Dave, you're setting me up that my line was going to be, you choose to believe that they're angels. My response was, I choose to believe what the Bible teaches, um, that they are not angels, and there's no way in uh, God's green earth you could consider them angels. But no, we, we actually have debated that yeah. conversationally before. Um, although whether those are angels or not, there's, there's ample biblical data on angels we can, we can talk about, but, um, your quick thoughts, angels, Nephilim, you want to share anything about that? Well, I don't think the, uh, I think the sons of God in Genesis six are angels. I think Jude and second Peter two make that emphatically clear. If you only deal with the old Testament text, it's not clear. And I understand that. And most commentators who say it's a little bit ambiguous are dealing with Genesis six. But Peter's comments in Second Peter 2 and Jude's comments in, in Jude make it abundantly clear that this is an angelic problem. Oh, they don't. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know what that was, Dave. We had something. Did you, Bill, did you hear that, Bill? I think I did. It was, it was probably the wheels in my brain yeah. just screeching to a halt. Right? <laughs> I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind, you know, I thought angels were sexless. Well, they're not. The Bible doesn't say that. Interesting. The Bible says that angels don't get married, which is a big difference, you know. So what we know about angels in terms of their gender is, you know, a little obscure. 
But, Dave, I would say, to carry this on a little bit, wouldn't you say angels are incorporeal beings, spirit beings without bodies? Uh, except for the fact that they like to have bodies. So they do, whenever they show up in Scripture, they have bodies. So they somehow figure out a way to either co-opt a body or pick up a body along the way somewhere. So is it possible to read Genesis, I wonder if this is a hybrid view, Genesis 6, that they are... are angels that have it in, that have it almost possessed demonically inhabited mm -hmm. the bodies sure. of men. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't have a problem with that, but yeah. but I do have a problem trying to eliminate angels from that passage. I don't think you can do it. Yeah. I I think you have to do it. Um, <laughs> are these I, the same angels that are there with the head coverings? Is yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've got some thoughts on that yeah. too, Dave. <laughs> I know which we can say. Now, I'll just say this. I always believe David is rock solid consistent um, I can't believe I'm going to quote him first time ever on the podcast. Dave, you need to get back in touch with your Gearhardus Vaz biblical uh, theology. Okay. I remember reading that in seminary. Mm -hmm. It was sort of like uh, having your teeth pulled out one at a time. <laughs> uh, one, some of the most difficult writing I've ever did. But once you got used to it, it's sort of like taking a Shakespeare class. Mm -hmm. I just became convinced more than ever that what's going on in Genesis 6 is the merging of the two lines. Uh, contextually, that you have the godly line of Seth, you know, passed down mm -hmm. from Cain and the ungodly line, and that that's the merger. Now, I do know they're called sons of God, which I know Job 1, other passages, most common use mm -hmm. is of angels. I understand that, but it, it seems to me, meaning it's what the Bible teaches, <laughs> that they are men um, merging um, with the uh, women from the ungodly mm -hmm. line, which uh, basically sets up the flood. It's sort of the final act of the merging of the two lines that were supposed to be maintained clear and distinct. That's my view, and a view you think is foolish. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah. Come on. Oh, yeah, I do. Good, good. <laughs> so, uh, Nathan, where do we go from here? So, Dave, what is, what is, your, what is your view on um, angels in that passage? What, what's the role that they're playing? So, so Greg believes this is, um, you know, two human lines that are, that are mingling and merging, what is your view then in the role concerning the angels? Well, there's nothing in the context of uh, the first six chapters of Genesis that forbids uh, the marriage, intermarriage of the two lines, first of all. So that's kind of pulled, I think that's pulled out of thin air. But I think the bigger issue is the role of sons of God uh, and its contemporary passage, which is Job 1 and 2, is clearly angels. And uh, Job 38, 7 also refers to the sons of God, and those, that is in poetic language, which is angels also. So I see angels heavily involved, and I take that as a, um, as a spiritual warfare act on the part of Satan to, uh, to, in some way, as best he can and as best he understands it, defile and contaminate the human gene pool to prevent the birth of the seed of the woman. And that will come out of Genesis 3, and Satan heard this predicted, that the woman would produce a seed that would crush the serpent's head. So from that point on, he's got a basic agenda, which is, I've got to stop this one who's going to crush my head. How can I do it? And in Genesis 6, it's, it shows up in a, an attempt, an, a, an assault on the human race, by attempting to pollute, pollute the gene pool in some way to prevent the birth of a perfect uh, head crusher, the seed of the woman. That would be my understanding of the passage. I don't think Nephilim has anything to do with the sons of God. 
That's just an aside, almost a parenthetical statement that says when all of this was going on, Nephilim were on the earth. Interesting. Okay. I uh, Man, I wasn't expecting this. I wish I'd been more prepared with cool sound bites and things that make Dave look really foolish. Uh, would be awesome. I'm a little surprised, though, Dave. I would agree there's nothing in those first six chapters that explicitly forbid the intermarrying, but that seems to be a, something that just is an Old Testament theme consistently. You think of Ezra um, and and basically ordering the dissolution of marriages that they made to those outside of the faith, outside mm-hmm. of Israel. You think of Solomon's downfall um, in in the harem that he collected. Uh, you know, they they turned his hearts away to foreign gods that were mm-hmm. not fully devoted. So I, I don't think that theme, while explicitly... Um, communicated in Genesis 1 through 6. Uh, I would agree with you there. I don't think it's a surprise to say we we shouldn't be shocked to say, yeah, they, they shouldn't be marrying women from this ungodly line. Mm-hmm. It's what sets up the unequally yoked uh, issue in 1 Corinthians, uh, as I see it. Yeah, and I would say that uh, most of the rest of the Bible is dealing with intermarriage between Jews and pagan Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And it's not even as if they can't marry outside of the family. They can. Right. G- Jews can marry Gentiles. Right. Uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, so I see the godly line of uh, Seth and the ungodly line of Cain. I don't see that as an intermarriage kind of issue. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Boy, if that's good. Just wait till Nathan we get on to Calvinism. I know, right? <laughs> All that good. This stuff. is just a preview of things to come. Right. Dave, Dave would say, though, guys, I just want to make this clear that because of his friendship with me and the way he looks to me for uh, mentorship and that sort of thing, he is becoming increasingly confessionally Calvinistic. <laughs> <laughs> Dave's thinking, okay, I've got supporters <laughs> from all over the theological spectrum. How do I respond to that charge? See? I think they've already figured you out, and I don't really need to respond. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Uh, well, I think um, we're going to go ahead and, and wrap things up now. But, Dave, this is becoming um, a, a great um, continuing uh, topic for us because we're getting a little bit more um, on your specific views um, with angels in the Old Testament. So we want to definitely have you back so that we can continue to discuss um, to discuss these themes and, and, and discuss what you think um, uh, about angels. Because aside from, you know, that passage in Genesis 6, I think you have some really great things to say about them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm noticing a three-to-one <laughs> gang up here. I mean, it's okay, Dave. You believe that, Bill, Nathan, and I, we tend to let... We like the Bible to dictate what we believe, uh, so we're a little more comfortable with that. Yeah. But I think it's cool that you we have a token representative of somebody believing something extra biblical, if not anti biblical. This is what we want. We want the controversy. Yes, we do. Dave. Maybe we could talk about military angels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the blue angels. All right, so we're going to go ahead and sign off now. And uh, Greg, Dave, Bill. We just rocked the Casbah. Yes. Consider it rocked. It was great. Enjoyed it. These go to 11.